Welcome to episode 9. Today we've got two uninspired undead upsets with 2017's Zombies and 2018's Day of the Dead Bloodline. So grab a pint at the Winchester and wait for all of this to blow over because it's time for Frightful Failures! What's the matter? Oh, oh, I'm sorry, Zach. I didn't. I didn't know you were here. It's just, I just saw Avengers, and I'm just so moved. <laughs> Never has a film, a kino, touched me in a way that this movie has touched me. I just, I mean, you saw it, right? I don't want to spoil it for you. Well, I, I typically don't see any kind of like modern movies, but uh, but but yes, I've I've watched a bootleg of it. Oh, good. Okay, all right. That's the way you should. Well, uh, good. I, I'm sure you you know what I'm referring to then in in terms of that really touching moment. The fact that you know they they did it. The Russos they. They, their, their, their intention was to subvert our expectations, and they did it. We all thought they weren't gonna have Ant Man crawl up Thanos's ass and expand to kill him, but they fucking did it. And I was just so touched that they finally did it. Well, if, if the, if nothing else, the Russos know how to please the fans. So yeah, <laughs> they really do. They really do. I was surprised at how tastefully filmed that was. That didn't seem crass at all. I was like, oh, this is like if Kubrick filmed a tiny man going into an, a larger thing's ass and expanding giant, exponentially. A giant purple ass. Yeah, no, it really was. It was kind of like, it, it, it was almost an extension of the uh, Doctor Strange uh, segments uh, of just sort of feeling kaleidoscopic, but instead of, you know, celestial yeah. bodies, it was just giant purple assholes. Yeah, the, the it was almost uh, the Spielbergian uh, insertion shot of any film, I think. Uh, yeah, I mean, an emphasis on insertion. Um, right. Uh, <laughs> why, why did you feel the need to repeat that? Like, why, why? like what else could I have been referring to? Like, uh, I just wanted to... I mean, there's... You're like, mm, yes, it was also good when the man was in the other man's ass. Like, yes, that I was mean, the joke. I mean, an insert shot is a f film term. I just wanted to well, make I mean, sure all true. of you, our you, very heady cinematography fan base was on the same page as they all They all achieved orgasm with that <laughs> reference. You did a great job, Ken. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. Uh, let's, let's get this show started, please. Please. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Frightful Failures podcast. I am your ghost host with the most, Zach Romero. Joining me, as always, is your ghost host with the most, T.N. Guignol. And to anybody that this is the first episode that they've ever stumbled upon, basically the purpose of this film experimentation series is that T.N. and I each bring a bad horror movie to the table... We both watch them, we completely rip them a new one, and then we completely improve them by the end of the episode. Now, to anybody who this is not your first episode, you might have chuckled just there, because typically, in every episode, although that is our goal, Tian and I 
usually end up picking a favorite and we sort of end up gushing about one film while completely eviscerating the second one. However, you'll be pleasantly surprised to find out in a little bit of foreshadowing here that uh, we actually stay on track this time because I don't mind telling you, I fucking hated both of these movies. Mm, yes, and uh, of course it's it's time because it's it's two minutes into the episode, and so it's time for my famous line, which is now this isn't quite like the standard formula of an episode, being that that's true. In 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 most episodes, uh, the older film of the two films we review is older by twenty to thirty years. Typically, it typically right. is an eighties, nineties, sometimes even a seventies film. Uh, and that is not the case for our quote-unquote younger film this time. Uh, that said, uh, that was your Gian, selection. You bring up an excellent point. Mm-hmm. Our, uh, our concept here as a show is so simple and so straightforward, and yet every episode <laughs> we manage to fuck it up. No, absolutely. No, absolutely. It's, it's, it's so easy a caveman can do it, and yet uh, for some reason we just cannot get it right. And yet neither of us really realizes that we fucked it up until we start recording the episode. And we're like, oh, damn. Very we true. We did it. We fucked it up again. Uh, we so, just live in our own messes, and, and that's, the, that's the end of it. We made so, our bed, uh, and so the now first... it's time to lie in it. We pissed in our bed, and now it's time to lie in it. Um, so, our first film is the older, the throwback film, uh, all the way back in 2016, 2017. I say that because technically the movie was made in 2016, but it wasn't released digitally until 2017. It is George Romero's Zombies. Now, you may be saying, well, wait a minute. I, that seems a little on the nose for a film titan like George Romero, and you'd be correct. This is actual. This is actually George Romero's son, George Cameron Romero's zombies, and he didn't even make the goddamn thing. He's one of like seven producers on it. Oh, for sure. Uh, so yeah, your your brother George Cameron Romero, often referred to as just Cameron Romero, uh, right. I found plenty of articles, personally, uh, from, you know, low-grade, wannabe, bloody, disgusting sort of uh, horror news outlets that were publishing a small article on this film and saying, this is directed by George Romero's son, which couldn't be further from the truth. So it's good yeah, to know absolutely. that uh, that his, his, his name being slapped onto this uh, gave it the small amount of recognition that it probably didn't even deserve to begin with. Oh, and, and and don't even think that that wasn't intentional. Like, that is a thousand percent what they were hoping for, and they accomplished it. Now, you oh, may yes. have also read, you may have also read some articles on, like, uh, you know, poor man's bloody disgusting and, and dread central and all that, about how uh, Cameron Romero, in addition to being a lackluster producer, um, is a real asshole to share a room with, and uses up all the hot water in the goddamn shower every morning. Uh, those were all published by me. So, yes, um, cats out of the bag there. This is somewhat of a conflict of interest, as we say in the business. I understand. And there's probably going to be a lot of very personal takes you're going to have on this, on uh, disgracing your father's legacy. Your brother is a real piece of shit. Uh, that's fine. Uh, we'll, we'll get into that for sure. But since you were technically the person that uh, selected this, and I'm not sure if you want to reveal the, the full uh, man behind the curtain <laughs> of how it was selected, that's sure, up to you. Yeah. No, you know what? Let's put it all out on the table. All so, right, uh, fine. 
so I I happened to be a cheap ass and didn't want to spend the uh, the four dollars to watch the other film for today's episode, the film that TN picked out. And I don't so blame I you. YouTube, so I YouTubed it, found it, wonderful. I get to watch it for free. Click on it. I watch the entire film to its completion. I go, wow, that was a real stink burger. And I happen to glance at the comments section, and the comments of this YouTube video all say, hey, this isn't TN's choice. This isn't the movie that he picked. This is a different movie, and you purposely labeled it wrong to fool people. And I went, oh, sweet God, please, God, don't tell me that's true. And I looked it up, and lo and behold, it was 2016, 2017 zombies. So I watched a shitty zombie movie that I didn't even need to watch for this goddamn show. So immediately upon realizing this, I contacted TN. I said, I'm changing my pick for this week's episode. We have to watch this shitty movie now because I've already watched it, and I will be damned if I watched it for nothing. Well, uh, I think it's a lovely, very organic way of selecting a film, uh, completely by accident. And since it was technically your unintentional choice, why don't you go ahead and and I will present you with the monumentous task of explaining the plot of this film. Oh, Jesus. Okay, so essentially, um, the film uh, takes place in someone's backyard uh, over, you know, maybe a long weekend. And it is your absolute run-of-the-mill oatmeal zombie military movie. Uh, the apocalypse has happened. A zombie virus has spread, and there is a like smaller and smaller group of survivors that are trying to like gather materials and and search to see if there's any other survivors out there. You have a very bland um, uh, army guy as your main character, who I believe is the director of the film which, shame on him. And you also have Candyman in the movie in potentially the worst performance I've ever seen him in, and I want to talk about that momentarily. Um, But essentially, the movie just sort of pads itself out in pseudo-danger. Our hero runs into a crazy person he used to know. He runs into his barista girlfriend that's still alive. Uh, and basically the film just sort of like faffs about not really accomplishing anything until the last 10 minutes when he ends up going to his girlfriend's uh, farm and his girlfriend's family and he hunker down and they uh, they defend the farm from some zombies and kind of have a sense of humor all of a sudden. And then the film, ooh, what a twisty twist it has, which we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily. Yes. Um, but that's the basic synopsis of the film. It's a very, very boring military zombie film with very forgettable characters and really no substantial plot. And then it has an old twisty roo at an hour 18 and I can't wait to shit all over that because it was really stupid. Oh, yes, yes. Now, Zach did give you a little peek behind the curtain, and I would like to give you another, which is that okay. uh, Zach and I had a conversation recently off the record uh, in which we were talking about uh, our process for selecting movies. Uh, I, I showed him a trailer for something, that uh, a type of movie that I wish that we could maybe cover on this show. And Zach told me... And I, and I agreed with him. Zach said, this is a quote from him, I'll probably put it on Instagram with a picture of his fucking face. 
um, which says that we shouldn't be punching down on this show. And then the movie we're about to review couldn't be more exactly that because it is quintessentially a movie that it, it, it looks, feels, and tastes like a high schooler with a rich dad who bought him a DSLR and gave him a small budget and said, this is your Christmas gift this year, and he got to make whatever he wanted, and he made this. Almost every other movie we've reviewed from this show, even though they're horrible, most of them have either had a small, limited theatrical release, or a wide digital release, or something to, to, to their acclaim. And this, I'm sure, did not. It truly, truly feels like a college thesis film it it is another level of indie amateur garbage that we have yet to cover on this show so thank and, you and for not punching for, down with us zach <laughs> let me state for the record that as someone who was in a shitty college thesis zombie film i can which tell i've you never seen by the way thank god and you never will I can tell you from personal opinion that is exactly what this film was. It was definitely somebody's college thesis. All right, if we could get a, a, a thousand listens on this episode, Zach will leak uh, the shitty zombie if college thesis. If we get a thousand movie. listens, if we get a thousand listens on this episode alone, I will post the film in its entirety <laughs> oh on YouTube, and it will, I and, will the, go. and the video on YouTube will be called "Day of the Dead Bloodline." parentheses 2018 <laughs> that will be the name of the video but i will upload it in its entirety if this episode gets a thousand listens i am going to silicon valley style buy a thousand listens from india <laughs> <laughs> oh boy um there was there was one other thing i wanted to mention about this and this idea this sort of narrative that we've built here this assumption that uh cameron romero's zombies here uh, was just filmed on somebody's fancy DSLR over a long weekend in college. Uh, Pat Oswald, the comedian, once said that uh, there's like no excuse not to be creative in filmmaking because the average person today on their cell phone has more filmmaking power than Orson Welles had in his entire life. And so with that in mind, if zombies from 2017 is what we get from having that kind of power it wasn't worth it take it all back let's go back to rotary phones because this shit wasn't worth it uh, um so uh i actually i, I did uh, you know in doing my research found the, the true director of the film who uh, i guess i didn't put together that he he did also star in it uh he's a handsome guy but i gotta say i mean you know uh, very very generic and what what do i gotta do to be you know the protagonist in a in a in a movie like this oh i gotta have a chiseled jawline oh i i gotta be able to grow facial hair uh fully and not patchy and gross oh i gotta have two eyes hollywood's fucked up let me just say that yeah because this guy's say, so that's generic call, that's called that's called dual vision bigotry from where i'm from it is so, yeah, so let's talk about characters for a little bit. Um, so there's Luke, who's our main character, that is the director. Um, and then there's um, a former, like, army guy or cop named, who's played by Tony Todd, a.k.a. the Candyman. Um, 
why is Tony Todd so bad in this? He's such a talented actor. Why is I, he so bad? I truly, I'm, I truly am confused by it. I, I want to say he's hungover. Maybe I, 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 I maybe if we're going with the narrative that this was filmed on a college campus over a weekend, maybe he dipped into the frat party a little early. I think he did. I think that he and uh, and the actor slash director. Hamid, I believe his name is, um, who who played Luke. I think that they stepped out. They went to like you know the saloon themed bar that's right off of campus. Uh, Tony Todd got up on the mechanical bull, uh, got thrown off. You know, was really fucked up. Well, Had he a probably great time. He, he probably sang his ass off at karaoke at you know Rattlers or whatever the fuck that bar would have been called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because his voice is weirdly scratchy in this. Like he doesn't have that deep bassy voice from Candyman, which I get that was 30 years ago, but it sounds like he, like he's off camera, just screaming into the phone to his, uh, you know, uh, agent going, how fucking dare you put me on this movie? And then when you come back on set, he's just like, oh, when you get out there, just make sure you're watching your back boy and bring back a rump roast. <laughs> like it's just, his voice is completely shot. It's it's such a, an awful performance that I truly did not recognize that it was Tony Todd at first. He comes in, he, he has one of the first few speaking lines in the film, and within the first five lines, he says, A. Oh my god, you're right. There's zombies everywhere. That is like, maybe his second line in the whole film. There's zombies everywhere. Okay, well, I, I guess you're setting the scene. I mean, there's no dancing around it. We're certainly not writing poetry here. Th th those are facts. There's zombies everywhere. And then right. maybe three or four lines later says, I hate zombies. And, and it was, it, it's so clownish that I truly thought, who is this hack that, oh my God, it's Tony Todd. How did they get Tony <laughs> Todd to do this? And not to, I don't want to, I'm trying not to just, again, trying not to punch down here. But it's one of those things where, like, I don't know if it's just that Tony Todd is old. Because, like, for instance, if you go to a horror convention and they're like, hey, everybody, Sid Haig is going to be here. And you're like, holy shit, Captain Spaulding? God damn, that's going to be awesome. And you go there and someone's very, very frail grandpa is just sitting there not knowing, like, he knows his ass from a hole in the ground. And you're like, oh, that's really sad. It's the most I sad thing. It's like someone put... Uh, a wrinkly skeleton in a clown costume and makeup and it almost it looks like it almost looks like an ad for like an anti-animal cruelty campaign where you're like don't right. allow people to test makeup on elderly chimpanzees like this and i just want to be like stop if, i'm gonna save if him he's in if sid Haig is in the get up at a convention and stands up you would think it was the shittiest animatronic that a spirit Halloween was ever trying to sell. You'd be like, that doesn't fucking look like it at all. I want to uh, team up with my own grandmother uh, to rescue Sid Haig a la Lockjaw and set him free <laughs> in the ocean. <laughs> and just do the quick swap. No one will know. We'll flip off the lights for a second, make the switch. No one will be the wiser. Yes, absolutely. Uh, same goes for Tim Curry, although that's a very different situation. But people say, oh, I'm going to meet Tim Curry at a convention. I'm like why do you want to just be depressed i, I mean it's very right. sad like. unless 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 he lets you sit in the wheelchair with him <laughs> like sit on his lap like there's this is not worth it <laughs> and you say tim curry can you 
say anticipation with a long pause for me and so he starts it and then he falls asleep and he never finishes the word and you're like oh i'm still in suspense um wow this is the punch downiest episode we've ever had (laughs) old people are frail we're young and vibrant fuck them (laughs) the disabled (laughs) oh gosh Um, but yeah so this film uh has absolutely zero character development whatsoever like, we don't learn anything about any of these people. We learn that uh, Luke was, like, a delivery guy before the apocalypse, and his girlfriend was a barista, um, and somehow they both magically had survival skills to kick the shit out of zombies. Um, Luke meets the eye patch lady who was I working at a law firm that he went to, I guess. Um, you know what this actually kind of felt like, this movie? It felt like a really shitty retelling of, like, Dead Rising, the video game. Yeah. Of, like, oh, here's this guy, and he's kind of just getting by it by the skin of his teeth, and, like, the whole world has gone wacky, and it's not even the zombies that you have to worry about, it's the psychopaths that you have to worry about. Like, that kind of thing with the eye patch lady. Yeah, but ultimately, the psychopaths like, in, in Dead Rising are actually fun and interesting. That's true, and they have, like, an unnerving element to them. She was just very bland and very poorly written. Like, they were just like, I don't know, put an eye patch on her. Like, that's really what it felt like. They introduced like, that Luke- character, and I think that... If you are just going to have no shame at all with your references and the things that maybe inspired you to do this, you introduce this character who very clearly has reestablished her position in society post-zombie apocalypse and has maybe gone from what was perhaps a very boring, mundane life they had before the outbreak and turned themselves into this tyrant that's just making their own laws and just wants to be Mm -hmm. their own sort of ruler dictator. Um, And you put a a giant black eye patch over her and you dress her kind of well and you have like sort of coiffed like brown hair literally when 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 luke walks in the room and he talks to her and he says "Haley," she should have looked right into the camera and said no now they call me the governor i mean that's you're not wrong if you're gonna be that shameless about it then just just embrace it Why not? And don't think that the irony, and this is maybe my main issue with this film, don't think the irony has slipped by me at all that you have a film produced by the son of George Romero, the godfather of the modern zombie, that is much more influenced by media such as The Walking Dead that it becomes this weird chicken and egg scenario where it's like modern zombie fiction obviously influenced by George A. Romero, like all zombie fiction. Fiction, but now you have new era of Romero lineage produced zombie content influenced by The Walking Dead. Paradox, paradox. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it would be ironic if it wasn't so depressing and shitty. Yes. Also, I feel like not just was it a blatant ripoff of The Governor, but also I felt like just kind of par for the course of like, well, in a normal movie... There would be development of, like, how you lost your eye and, like, why you're evil. But uh, we don't have time or effort to do that. So instead, we'll just put an eye patch on you because that will clearly make you look like a villain. And then everyone at home will know that you're the villain. And that's basically it. There's, there's no real 
uh, I feel like your average uh, modern, super generic zombie movie, ultimately the goal is you have someone on the team that is either a scientist or an aspiring scientist that is working towards a cure, or maybe they've heard something and so they're on their way somewhere. There's like a quest. This there really doesn't feel like a quest. It really just feels like they're just meandering until they eventually reach that farm. Um, it really does. It feels like they, they filmed the ending and then when they were like, great, well, you know, you got to make like the rest of the movie though. They're like, you do what now? And then they just were like, all right, well, we'll just kind of stretch for time until we reach the, you know, hour and whatever mark, you know, hour 10, and then we can go to the farm. That's really what it felt like. When he ends up meeting up with his ex-girlfriend, uh, there's a kind of a intended-to-be-cute moment where they're bunking down together, and he offers her the little shitty cot that he sleeps on, uh, and he'll sleep on the floor, and he kind of makes a you know little quick comment like, but I could share the cot with him, and there's plenty enough space. And she goes, not on the first date. On a serious note... I know you're a married man, but can you imagine if it were the zombie apocalypse and you met up with like an ex or really anyone that you're attracted to? There was some kind of mutual attraction there and you guys put off fucking for any reason. I, okay, so here's the thing. Here's what I never wanted this show to become. <laughs> I never wanted Frightful Failures to become like the nitpicky questions about realism show because that can get very tiresome especially when it comes to horror films especially when it comes to like campy horror films that being said i had the exact same thought i was like so wait a minute you're telling me that this has just been hell on earth for god knows how long you not only met a female but a female that you had a pre-existing relationship with. And by the way, not even an ex. You were giving this film too much credit. They were going to go on their first date. And the zombie apocalypse happened. And they got, you know, separated. And then they, by fate, happened to meet up. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's be modest here. Let's not rush into things. By the way, we could die at any moment. Because there's a goddamn army of the undead around every corner we could literally die at any moment but let's not be too hasty things are getting a little hot and heavy let's go ahead and cool this down a bit and let it simmer like that was so absolutely absurd and to your point of like let me imagine here it's an apocalypse it's hell on earth it's survival of the fittest i have somehow made it this far and I meet a person, and you were even kind enough to say that I have a mutual attraction to, I, win, lose, or draw, it could be a guy fatter and hairier than I am. I'll be like, look, I'm not gay, but bring that butthole over here because God knows where we're going tomorrow. Like, <laughs> there's no excuse not to be fucking in a zombie apocalypse. I don't give a shit who it is. It could be Adolf Hitler could walk in the room. I'd be like, Adolf? I hope you put the beard cream in because it's going to get real frictiony here. Get over here. Like, it's the goddamn apocalypse and you could die at any moment. Oh, wow. Who's well, not going to get their dick wet? You heard it here first, folks. Zach Romero would have sex with a man. Forget the context there. I, I will be editing even, that clip. Yeah, don't even think of the context. Who cares? If it's, <laughs> if it's 
Go time, it's go time. Okay? Wow. Beggars can't be uh, choosers. Miss me with that gay shit. Okay, moving on. Um, so, the, so, so I the have dialogue... like next to no notes. I have next to no notes about this movie. That's how bland and forgettable this movie is. Uh, I, have, I, have I have is a few. Twist. <laughs> um, uh, I do want to say before we start to move towards the ending, uh, which I, I do have notes on as well. So um, the dialogue in this movie, and I and I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, make, I don't want to talk out of turn here, but I mean, okay, there's a couple of pieces here. So the, the movie is written and directed by a man named Hamid Torapur. I hope I'm not horribly butchering that. Uh, the only... Yes, of all the things that we've talked about in this episode, God help us if we mispronounce his Please! Um, and also the only copy of the film I could find had Indonesian subtitles. So the implication there is that this is a film that is was not necessarily made for the Western market. And wouldn't you guess it, because half the dialogue sounds like it's for someone teaching an ESL course. Like, I dislike zombies. I am out of ammunition. It's, it, it is said in such a way that you could not possibly reinterpret the line, misinterpret it for, for anything else. It is it is just English 101, baby. Right, that's true. There's no, uh, no uh, colloquialisms, no local flavor. It's just very, like, this is just the universal English language, and it is conveying this wannabe story. So, uh, c- can we move towards the end here, or did you have something else about the What meeting? about... Dave. What what about Dave? I just want to know. The film introduces from the beginning that Luke's pal Dave has been infected by the zombie virus, but Luke is too much of a pussy to kill him, so he just keeps him caged up a la sort of Bubs from, or Bub from uh, uh, Day of the Dead Hmm. in terms of like, hey, we're keeping him, he's kind of domesticated we'll see how it goes um and then the movie sort of forgets about it and that's it so what the fuck about dave yeah i mean they well they 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 return to that cell at the end of the movie and it's open so unnecessarily uh, like they like like the after the twist happens they're like huh not needed like you could have just been like, yeah, no, it's it's doing what we think it's doing, and that's it. You didn't have to be like, oh, and by the way, here's Dave. Like you don't unnecessary. So here's the twist we're referring to. So our machete wielding biadath of a protagonist um, has discovered that his barista girlfriend is infected. Um, she has been bitten, which I thought the reveal on that was very strange. She was lifting up, trying to show these scars in the mirror, and it almost, to me, looked as if the scars had healed or something. And uh, uh, Let me tell you, I have no goddamn clue how she gets infected. Yeah, I don't either. I tried rewinding a bit, and I'm like, I don't want to watch any more of this than I have to. I, I, I did I, the same thing. She, yeah. they, Her and Luke successfully like kicked the shit out of some zombies with her family, and then, like... She's like, oh, I'll be down for breakfast in a second. And then she looks in the mirror and, like, lifts up her shirt and is like, oh, God. And it's almost like they forgot to put the goddamn digital effect in. 
It really does look like that. I thought, I legitimately thought that they were going with a she's the cure or something. I thought that the, that was the reveal. I had missed something that she had been bitten and all of a sudden her scars were healing up and she was going to go manufacture the cure. I literally thought that's where they were going with it because I could not tell for the life of me where the scars were. We haven't really talked about it, but the makeup of this movie is absolutely god-awful. It is, it is the kind of makeup that you slap on when you have to work on how Halloween and somebody invites you to a party afterwards and you just go home and go onto your face. Uh, that's what it looks like for all of the zombies. In this not movie. just the, uh, not just the makeup, the CGI, the explosion at the end where they blow up all these tankers look like a joke. There's a zombie that gets hit by a car in the beginning. It looks like fucking Neil Breen edited it. It is so bad. The computer effects in this movie. They're really awful. So anyway, so, uh, she, uh, brings Luke into a room they're alone and she's like listen it's it's the exact conversation you're going to expect you could probably talk along with this movie she says I don't want to turn into one of those things you're going to have to kill me first he says I don't want to do that she takes the gun she tries to shoot herself he's taking the bullets out of it so she says you coward and he's like no 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 I, I, I just we have to have hope we have to have some kind of hope in this world otherwise what do we have uh, um so then she just goes on the offensive and is like, you know what? You're just a big pussy. Uh, and just like with Dave, you didn't have the nutsack to put him down. And now you can't kill me. And he just cuts her off mid-sentence, turns around and just shoots her in the head. It's a very romantic scene. Mm-hmm. And then um, he's sad. He's a sad boy. He had to do the right thing and kill his lady. And then he goes back to the fortress with very phoning it in Tony Todd who immediately greets him and says, hey, we just got word off camera that the zombie virus fixes itself and that if you just give zombies enough time, they will just, the virus will run its course and then they'll be fine again. So here's Dave and he's fine again. Oh, where's your girlfriend? I hope you didn't kill her because she was infected by the zombie virus. Womp womp, end credits. So... Here's my theory uh, after that twist is that Hamid acquires some kind of a budget, says, I'm going to make a movie. It's going to be popular in Indonesia, but I'm hoping it'll appeal to the Western market as well. I should watch two pieces of fiction to inspire me before I write and direct this film. Okay, I'll watch the first season of The Walking Dead. Okay, check. <laughs> and I'm also going to watch The Mist. And because... Because... You, why yeah, not? Because famously, The Mist is the other movie that has an ending exactly like this, where it's just kind of almost pointlessly cruel to your protagonist where you have them do what they think is the right thing and then immediately have Deus Ex Machina show up immediately afterwards and say, woohoo, actually the, the, everything's okay. Hope you haven't done anything rash five minutes ago. No, you did? Well, sorry. You keep rolling the tank along. Yeah, and that's exactly it. As soon as I saw that twist in this, I thought the same thing. I was like, "Wow, just ripping the 
just Thomas Jane really grabbed you and you decided, yeah, we're going to rip this off completely. Hope nobody minds. What was your, I mean, so obviously you, you took away similar to me, but, but I, I know you had uh, some sort of a, a, a bigger dump to take on this, on this twist. So, so please uh, allow the film to have it as we wrap up here with our final thoughts on Cameron Romero's Zombies from 2017. Well, when I first saw the twist, my immediate thought was to my brother Cameron, and I, uh, the first thing I said was, This is why Dad didn't fucking love you! Um, because really just a huge besmirchment of the entire series. Um, and again, this is obviously exists in its own universe. I'm not saying this like ties in or is in canon with the Of the Dead series that Romero did, but God, how do you land so far? Like, how do you watch those movies that Dad made and not take away anything? You don't go like, oh, well, all of his movies have, like, kind of a deeper subtext to them or, like, a more uh, sociological sort of uh, meat to them. And they're not just, like, a zombie movie for a zombie movie. But no... Bumblefuck Ahoy over here decides, yeah, no, the, the, the director is going to act in it. He's going to go full Tommy Wiseau and we're not going to actually do anything. Cause I guess we spent all the thinking money on bringing in the candy man and ta-da, we ripped off the mist. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I really couldn't have put it better myself. I, I, I agree completely. I mean, that's, they're not even thickly veiled themes in the original works of your father. Uh, in fact, I'd say that's one of the most famous things about uh, Papa George's uh, original, uh, I guess, what it ended up being a quintology. Uh, there were a lot by the end, but but certainly for, for the for the first few, uh, there was always a social subtext. And this movie had nothing. There was no, you know, if you say a, a movie's got meat and potatoes, this had neither. This had, like, a little bit of couscous that you reheated from the night before. Uh, so, <laughs> wow. That was that was apt and a little racist, and it was perfectly put. I didn't even know. mean to be that way, but you know what? L let's take a break. Listen, I know we usually use these breaks to go have violent diarrhea for a few minutes, but I, I just, I, I cannot, I cannot think about anything other than the fact, you know, I'm, I'm going to reveal this right now. I mean, this episode probably won't be published before the finale, but we are recording this episode before the final episode of Game of Thrones. I'm just so excited. I, I, I can't, we, we, we got to talk about it. I mean, what do, what, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, do you have any theories? Well, first of all, let's just get it out there that obviously this last season has really been batting a thousand in terms of, like, balancing great storytelling as well as, like, keeping the fan base happy, which is super difficult. I've never seen a better they're season, for sure, yeah. And they're basically, you know, finishing this thing out with a series of films. I mean, let's be honest. Absolutely. Um, but if I had to, if I had to lay out a uh, theory here, I would say... Um, that I, I feel like there's going to be some kind of, like, they got to tie a ribbon on the entire, you know, dragon riding saga, the, you know, sort of the adult version of How to Train Your Dragon. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's somehow going to tie in 
to like like Lothar Frey is gonna come in and like try to tie the whole thing up, maybe capture the, the remaining dragons in some kind of like sphere like thing. And um, with Edmer Tully also like kind of like joining forces finally, because I know a lot of people have been really clamoring for that. There's been a lot of like Tumblr uh, fan, you know, sort of uh, Fan, uh, fan fiction? Yeah, like I mean, I've been writing some or, of that. Yeah. Or shipping, yeah, shipping the two of them. So I think it's the two of them joining forces, bringing down the dragons once and for all, and that's how we're going to sort of wrap up that whole loose end. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great idea. And I, and I think, honestly, if, if you're going to go that route, uh, you could just, Roger Rabbit style, bring in Hiccup and just have him meet Jon Snow which, which would be this other little wink to the camera, which I think I, I think it would honestly be appropriate if, if uh, Kit Harrington literally winked at the camera at that moment because he, he played a character in one of the How to Train Your Dragon films. I think that would be really cute, and I think it would be really appropriate for the for the finale of this series. Uh, but but who do you who do you ship? Because like you know, there's so many great characters on this show, and I think all of them are really seeing a, a really fantastic end to their arc. Everything feels very rounded out. Nobody really seems to be acting out of character um, to, to fit the plot or to, to round out the show so that the shitty hack writers can move on to their piece of fuck Star Wars movie. So, um, I would say right. that, um, you know, I, I personally, I kind of ship it, it's very obvious the show's been setting it up since like season one, but, you know, I ship John and Tyrion, honestly. I mean, they just make a really cute couple and I, I just, I imagine the wedding with Sansa, but like instead it's John there and he's wearing such a pretty dress and like, and Tyrion has to get up on his little step stool to put his cape, his, you know, sacrificial cape around him to offer his protection under the seven. It would just be darling to die for. Can you imagine the fan art? That's true. That would be really beautiful. And I feel like... Uh, he would really be able to tie that whole dress together. I think so. Um, for me, I'm a, I'm a little gutsier with my ship, okay. so I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, for me, since the very beginning, I have been all about Little Reed, which, of course, is Little Sam and Mira Reed. Um, I think they've had chemistry since the beginning. I've shipped them since day one. And... Um, you know, I, I feel like they didn't really get their due. I feel like the the writers knew about this ship and was kind of like tiptoeing around it, but uh, they did. And but I, uh, they always have a suspect. And, and and a lot of you really hardcore fans out there might be saying, "Well, Mira Reed is dead," but you know, in a in a show like this where they've already established that the dead can come back, I mean, there's no limit at True. that point. You bring her back. Um, there's sort of a dual wedding with John and Tyrion. And little Sam, little 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 Sam, and and Mira, and it's well, and that's and the other thing too. To your point, not only has the show established that the dead can come back, but also uh, last I checked, love conquers all. So all y'all can go right to hell. Exactly. And you know who I really ship more than anything? Um, I ship, and this is a pretty common ship if you look like on the subreddits. Um, I ship Grand Stark is now the three-eyed raven i ship him with like a floating piece of driftwood out in the ocean outside of king's landing uh after the big uh iron fleet was just destroyed uh, just a piece of wood floating out there i think they're meant to be together 
same sort of expressions on camera. Uh, really just, just like, it's like destiny, you know? Well, I was gonna say, my power couple vote is definitely, um, again, a little controversial, but I did see it on some of the subreddits. My power couple of the show is definitely uh, Hodor and um, like a damp pile of mud and hay. Like some scenes where he really went to town just just fucking the shit out of a pile of damp hay. Again, very tasteful, very tasteful. It, and you, a little it doesn't, raunchy, it doesn't and it was one sound of those cases, like, yeah. And as soon as you saw it, like as soon as he like lifted his like brown Friar Tuck outfit and you saw like his little Hodor dick or whatever, and he was like just going to town on this sloppy pile of hay and mud. I saw that and went, "Ooh, this is HBO." That was my. That was what I said. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. It, it it catches you off guard sometimes because it's it's a show that is shot so beautifully, but then they kind of remind you, and there's like a, a a running ad down at the bottom for for real sex coming up after Game of Thrones, and and as you or last week tonight with John Oliver. Yes. <laughs> And as you probably know, uh, Hodor in real life is a DJ, and so you probably noticed that in some of the moves he was putting on that uh, pile of mud, uh, that, that he is yeah. for sure uh, a whiz on the turntables there. Um, well, anyways, so that's our theory on what's going to happen in the finale. So uh, make sure to listen to this episode. Like I said, it's uh, you know listen back after the the finale plays. I, yeah, I was going to say give us a give us a grade on how we did. Yeah, I'm sure we'll be spot on. But uh, but be sure to give us some feedback. Uh, anyways, let's get back to the show. All right, so we've gone through my inadvertent pick, uh, the quote unquote older film. And so now, uh, Tien, let's talk about another bastardization of my father's great work, uh, 2018's Day of the Dead Bloodline, which is the second attempt at remaking George Romero's Day of the Dead. They have the the gall to call this a reimagining. I mean, it's currently, it's listed on Netflix and they call it a reimagining in the description for it. You could go watch this on Netflix right now, this movie. It is, it, we're going to get into it. Um, but it is, it is once again, another, uh, remake reimagining where you wonder why other than potentially for money, they did it. But even then with this one, Surely they didn't imagine. I mean, they knew maybe they were going to sell it to Netflix and they were going to release it straight to DVD. Surely they didn't expect to make a lot of money with this. And there was no creative vision behind it. So I'm not sure why it was made, but let's get into it. So um, the plot, and, you know, stop me if you've heard this one before. Uh, so a deadly virus outbreak has ravaged the planet. And this hot young doctor named Zoe... Uh, it's, I forget how long after the flashback, there's a, like a brief segment in the beginning where she's actually working in the hospital still and society hasn't crumbled yet. Um, but there's a flash forward. Uh, it's a five year, it's a five year time. Jump. Okay. So it's like end game. Um, so they're in the future. Uh, she's now living on a military base and she is the sort of the, the, the token scientist who's working to find a cure. Now, the, uh, the thing that would set this apart, if not for the fact that Day of the Dead exists, is that a lone zombie makes his way onto the base, and Zoe not only recognizes him, but realizes 
that he's got a very unique physiology to him and that they might be able to just sort of keep him on the base and harness his blood in order to make a cure. And don't worry, we'll get into it and get into who that is because, whew, this movie makes some weird decisions. So, uh, what are your first impressions about uh, Day of the Dead Bloodline? So, um, I was... Uh... I was actually pleasantly surprised at the start of it because it starts on like a college campus and Zoe is uh, getting her like master's, I guess, or something like that. And uh, so I'm like, okay, it's a zombie movie on a college campus. You know, Night of the Creeps did a good job with that. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm on board with that, especially, you know, seeing as we just finished watching a really bland run-of-the-mill military zombie movie. And... Then it immediately does this time jump five years, and the same scientist is on a very bland military base, and it's just a zombie movie about a military base. And I went, God damn it! And it's exactly right where I didn't want to be. Um, no, it's 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 bad. It's not good. Um, Here's the thing, though. Basically, <laughs> this... well, if, if I may, if yeah, I can give yeah, a different uh, a different tagline for the film. Um, it Day of the Dead Bloodline. What if everybody in Day of the Dead was a moron, and Bubs the zombie was a rapist? That's the tagline of the movie. So yes, now uh, that's the main thing we got to get into here. So you, let's assume you've seen Day of the Dead. Uh, Bub is a lot of people's favorite zombie in cinema because. He's really, really cute. And most of his, uh, you know, notable scenes in Day of the Dead involve basically giving him objects to play with and discover like a chimpanzee. And it's adorable. So they decided, well... well and it's, it's, it's kind of like, it, 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 pop culturally, he transcends the movie. Like, yes. of, the, of the Romero films... You know, Night of the Living Dead has, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Like, that has some visual elements that have stood the test of time. You've got Dawn, Dawn of the, the Dead, Dead has, which, like, you know, the machete in the head guy. Right, and it has, but also there's, like, certain visual elements of, like, the overrunning zombies at the mall and things like that. It, there's some really stark images there. With Day of the Dead, you really have the one scene where the lady is, like, looking at the calendar and the arms bust out of the wall which is very interesting to look at. You've got the military guy saying, I hope you choke on me. But Bubs is basically what stands out in that movie. Yeah. That's what's so interesting and has sort of transcended that trilogy. And a lot of other zombie movies have made reference to that. I mean, hell, goddamn stupid zombies from 2017 did. Shaun of the Dead, the ending of that with Ed in the shed, mm -hmm. is a reference to that. There, that. That kind of became its own thing pop culturally. Basically, um, all and of this just takes uh, a big piss right on it. It sure does. This takes a humongous piss on it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to, to add on to Zach's point, uh, Fido, which is like a guilty pleasure. Oh yeah, two uh, thousands like zombie comedy of mine is entirely based around kind of the concept of Bub, uh, and and very notably for me, being a huge fan of Edgar Wright and of Simon Pegg, uh, when they did their cameo, and I think it was Land of the Dead. Um, yes. their makeup was based around the original prosthetic for Bub by their request. Yes, correct. 
So, uh, he obviously is a very landmark character, and so if you're making a quote-unquote reimagining of Day of the Dead, you have some kind of big shoes to fill for what you're going to do with whatever you use for your equivalent of Bub. And this movie decided, with no exaggeration whatsoever, that they wanted their Bub to be a stalker rapist. And... I, I mean, I guess the credit I can give there is, well, you didn't just copy Bub or have somebody do an impression of Bub, but wow, what a weird direction to go from uh, this this character that people really love and just en uh, enjoy seeing on the screen and like every scene that he's in to, oh my God, this is horrifying. I hate this. I'm uncomfortable. My penis has shrunk inside of my body and is now an innie at how disgusting it is watching this rapist zombie, like, lick this protagonist's face and get brown Which also, by the way, her. when yep. he licks her face, again, I don't want to be the nitpicky guy, when 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 Max, the, the rape zombie, licks Zoe's face when she's trying to draw bl blood from him, why does that not infect her? Because typically know. in a yeah. zombie in a zombie universe, yeah, it's their the idea was Yeah, the, 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 the idea is that the virus basically lives in the saliva of the undead. That's how like that's how you get around the elephant in the room of like, hey, the action guy blew this zombie away and a bunch of blood sprayed on him. How is he not immediately infected? And it's like, oh well, because it's in the saliva. That's why the bites are infective or or, or cause the infection. So he blatantly licks her on the cheek, and she's just like, he's just a creepy guy. Don't worry about it. Like, that's... I mean, you know. if I were going to play devil's advocate, I would say that the, 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 they want to claim that it's the saliva's getting into your blood, because like with many zombie movies, it's like there's an allegory for HIV, you know? So, like, I, I, I guess I can get that. But still, it really does. That's your immediate impression when you watch a zombie lick her face. It's like, ooh, girl, like, go... Y'all need some hand sanitizer right now. Go rub that all over your face. So, um... So, okay, so let's kind of dig into this. Now, uh, we're introduced to Max uh, prior to him being a zombie. Uh, he shows up... Uh, to Zoe before the apocalypse, and I guess he's like a recurring patient of hers. He's doing some kind of blood treatment with her. I wasn't paying attention close enough to figure out. They may have hinted that he had some sort of weird blood disease, and that's why he ends up being the kind of... Not a blood disease. They just say that, like, because Zoe's like, hey, I'm weirded out by this guy. And they were like, well, too fucking bad. He's got a lot of antibodies in his blood, so we just want, like, more of his blood on record just because. And so that's like their little, uh, you know, wink, wink, like this is going to come back. Right. So, yeah, I mean, what luck that this guy that has the most antibodies in his blood in the whole world turns out is also the biggest creep. I I'm not sure if there's like a, a line graph that's like the more antibodies you have, the more rapey you are. Uh, but yes, yeah, that's uh, what I learned. But 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 he he's hitting on her, you know, as she's drawing his blood. Which uh, side note to this, I'm not sure if you're aware about me. Despite you know being the horror fanatic that I am, humongous pussy with getting my blood drawn. I faint every time. Um, and so you could have the hottest girl in the whole world. You could have Natalie Dormer drawing my blood, and I'd be like, hey, so what are you? <clears throat> and I just pass out immediately trying to hit on her. So. Good. Good. 
just a side note there. Um, so it, it goes from like, it, it ramps up very quickly. It escalates. He's inviting her out on another date. You could tell he's asked many times. He's saying, okay, I'm not going to quit. And I'm like, all right, this is getting a little creepy. But sometimes, you know, romantic movies have the protagonist just be a little creepy and you just have to accept it as romantic for some reason. Um, so, and then he lifts up his sleeve and he has her name carved into his arm. And you're like, oh, no. Um, and if that weren't bad enough, he then, uh, this is still prior to the outbreak, he corners her in the morgue and straight up sexually assaults her, just pins her down to the ground. You're about to watch a rape on screen. It's horrible. And that's when the zombie apocalypse starts and a zombie actually pulls him off of her to, uh, to latch its teeth into him. So that's our sort of, uh, lead into the apocalypse there. And then we jump to, like I said, five years in the future, and she's on this medical compound, and she's like the head scientist there. And again, not to be kept a nitpicky, but if you know for a fact that zombies are a living thing on this planet, and you can die at any moment, why, when you go for your morning jog, would you wear a goddamn sports bra and short shorts? Why would you not be in a fucking, like, shark proof divers costume when you're running around like why like that was i think the biggest sort of like specter that hung over the whole movie i'm like oh all these people are going to die because they're all morons who have gotten lazy because why would you take that kind of unnecessary risk like i understand trying to stay physically fit or whatever the fuck but like why would you run around in shorty shorts and a tank top while zombies are actively gunning for you on the other side of a very flimsy fence. It appears almost as if her doing that is attracting more zombies, or as this film, uh, <laughs> a reimagining of the movie that invented the term zombie, uh, calls them rotters. Very cute. Ooh. Love that. Wow. Um, it appears as if... She's actually attracting more zombies over, and she she loves it. She wants the attention, you know. She she's she's a thought. I think is is the real uh, subtext. And so, um, you know, again, the film just sort of faffs about. It turns out that one of the little girls who is alive and living in the compound comes down with like walking pneumonia or something like that, and they can't cure it with the medicine that they have there. So Zoe goes, hey, we need to go out on a scouring adventure to go get more medical supplies so I can cure this little girl. Uh, Miguel, who is the head military guy, who's your typical hard-ass, how has nobody in the compound poisoned this guy because he's just a big old dick for no reason? Um, he's like, I don't think this is a good idea, but I guess whatever. So she and some of the Marines go out. Um, shit goes south. Uh, they end up losing some people uh, in the process of obtaining the medicine. And on the way back, wouldn't you know it, old Raper Magoo, Max the Zombie, is still kicking around and follows them back to the base. He pulls and, a Cape uh, Fear and, uh, and yeah. rides back to the base with them. Um, and yeah, yeah, to your point, uh, the, the leader of the base, uh, that dude is built like Michael Sarah, so I don't know why he has not been, like, <laughs> overthrown. Um, it's clearly not, like, a physical yeah, intimidation like, thing. 
he's 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 like a pocket-sized Jesse Ventura, and he's just like, <laughs> you better listen to me because I run this place. And it's like, just mush him in the face. Just go, he, shut he, up. He is leading neither by fear nor respect, and I don't know why he's in charge. But anyhow. <laughs> well, because sometimes when he gives a speech, he stands on a milk crate, and then he can <laughs> look people in the eye, and they go, oh, shit. The old Tom Cruise trick, absolutely. Exactly. Um, yeah, and, 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 you know, here's the thing. So, so this is a bad movie and, and, and we're, we're, you know, giving you plenty of, of reasons to know this is a bad movie, but that said, coming off of Cameron Romero zombies, Cameron Romero zombies makes bloodline look like Pan's Labyrinth. I mean, that's true. It's like, it's night there's and at day. Least like, truly. There's a couple of different sets in this one. There's, there's like there's actual sets. actors in this one. Yeah, there's actual actors. There is a uh, an actual like makeup artist like on set. Yeah, they didn't just hand all of the actors in the movie all of the extras a little Ziploc baggie with some spirit Halloween leftovers in it and and say you know, go go for it like you know what a zombie looks like. Uh, so the zombies in this movie to to their credit look uh, really nice actually. So. Um, and then, so, the one thing, so, how Max gets in is a a group of kids are playing, like, soccer outside of the compound. One of them, like, field goal kicks it into the woods, which is not protected for some reason, or not blocked off. Uh, the rest of the kids tell that kid to go fuck himself and go find the ball on his own. Random military guy's like, don't worry, kid, I'll find it. Max immediately jumps out of the bushes and bites this guy and just makes his way in no problem. Is like craw- like doing all the things that a zombie wouldn't do. Like if we're going under the assumption that they're brain dead, he's like fucking die hard with a vengeance, sneaking through the the vents and shit. And it's like, how would he remember how to do any of this? And so one thing I thought about is you know in action movies or in some horror movies, they're like, hey man, you just gotta turn your brain off, okay? You'll enjoy the movie if you just turn your brain off. Yeah. Right? Sometimes you gotta do that. This was kind of like that, but it was more like the director of the movie was standing in the room with you holding a gun to you and was just like, you need to turn that brain off right now! Like, it is such a different level of schlock in terms of like, you're not gonna make it through this movie if you think at all. You have to just shut that off. It, it really is. And so uh, the rest of the movie just kind of goes as you would probably expect. Um, half of the camp super is not comfortable with them having Max locked up there in order to study his blood. Uh, because they, they find him, they capture him. When, when he sees Zoe, the protagonist, the scientist, for the first time, zombie version of Max lifts his shirt up and shows the name just like he did the first time so she's like holy shit he's alive maybe he's are you alive are you dead she's not sure so they're like don't shoot him you know capture him let's chain him up i need to study him half the camp including dickhead uh michael sarah uh are not about it they want to just put him down uh her and a few others are like no please keep him her and her boyfriend um so the plot pretty much moves in the exact direction you would expect in that he's eventually going to break out and then the climax is going to happen. So the way he does that is by uh, attacking another female officer and then 
knowing, because, you know, Max has some kind of cognizance, knowing that the other right. male, uh, like, private lieutenant whatever in the room has the key to his shackles on him. So if he attacks her, the other guy's going to charge him, wrestle her out of his grip, and in the, you know, shuffle there, he's going to be able to sneak the key off of her. So that's what he does. It's a lot of moments like that of, ah, Max is smart. This would be cute if he weren't like a stalker rapist. You would maybe kind of root for the zombie or want to see where he's going. Yeah, very strange. And that's the other thing that sort of, like, boggled me about the film is that, like, it's almost framed like the scientist lady was in the wrong. Like, it's almost like, like when people, uh, you know, get killed and things like that at the beginning, and she, like, comes back to the to the base, and, you know, baby Miguel is like, this wasn't fucking worth it. The movie almost presents it like, yeah, it wasn't worth it. What an asshole she was for suggesting that they go out and try this. Like... It almost presents it like it super wasn't worth it just to save this one little girl. And and by the way, in regards to that little girl, I thought it was very bold of them to put the daughter from Dead Rising 2 in this movie. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm happy that so that's the first, what they so, went with. So Zombies 2017 ripped off Dead Rising 1 and this one ripped off Dead Rising 2. Yeah, precisely. Um, so to, to bum rush towards the end of the movie here. So... Uh, as expected, Max escapes. He uh, actually kidnaps the little girl in order to hold her hostage in order to get access to Zoe. And uh, some of the only interesting moments I enjoyed in this are in order to kidnap the girl, he sees her mom who has turned full rotter and he snaps its neck in order to get to the girl. Uh, so yeah. I felt like moments like that were, were kind of interesting, but still, once again, it's like it, it, the movie isn't sure how to make you feel about Max at all. They're like, it's Bub, but like Bub is going to like finger you tonight while you're sleeping. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so again, another excellent tagline. Yes. So, um, so, uh, there's a Mexican standoff, uh, Max is holding on to the little girl. Uh, Zoe convinces her to let him go. Uh, they end up hiding from Max. Uh, and uh, there's a final confrontation in which uh, she leaps up and rips open his uh, abdomen. His guts spill out. And then he he's, he's managed to almost seize her from uh, the new Planet of the Apes series. Like, utter a couple True. of words. And in this final moment, he says, like the moment he says right before he uh, almost fully raped her as, as a human, uh, which is, uh, you know, you are mine. And in kind of a nice, I thought, like, uh, survivor of sexual assault, uh, female empowerment moment, she says... and then cuts his head off um which was like the one of the only moments i enjoyed in the whole film yeah real uh real doo-doo butter i gotta be honest this whole movie sucked 
Um, so honestly, though, so as as we got to this, towards the end, so Miguel dies, and I, I, his brother has a super weird name. What is it like, Boca or something? Um, yeah, the, the boyfriend. Um, he's bitten, and so he's got a gun up to his head. And meanwhile, you know that she's been successful to create the vaccine using Max's blood, but no one else knows. Just we, the audience, know, and and she does. And I literally thought they were going to do the same stupid ending that Zombies in the Mist did. I literally thought they were going to have him shoot himself and then have her, like, Romeo and Julia come up to him and be like, Oh no! I had the vaccine right here! Um, but they they didn't. They went super saccharine uh, sweet with the ending. And it's uh, kind of equally as lame, I would say. Yes. Now... To kind of bring back to something that we talked about the last film, again, the the whole purpose of the George Romero films, you know, was to talk about a deeper issue. Night of the Living Dead deals with racism. Dawn of the Dead deals with commercialism. Day of the Dead deals with the military-industrial complex, as well as people communicating badly, costing the group, you know, costing the many, basically. This movie has nothing like that. This has no deeper meaning at all, in my opinion. It just basically hitches its wagon to the whole like raping zombie idea, and just says like, "Huh? Isn't that isn't that pretty wild? Like, that's that's it. Like, that's the whole thing. It's just like, isn't this shocking? But there's no depth there. There's no like, oh hey, we're really trying to tell a deeper meaning to it. And you know, sometimes George Romero sort of jumped the shark with that because like, Land of the Dead is supposed to be about like, um like financial hierarchy and like the haves and have nots diary of the dead is just dumb. And I don't know what the fuck he was trying to say there. So like it wasn't a perfect model, but neither of these films had anything deeper than just it's a zombie movie for sure. And, and even, and, even goddamn Shaun of the dead had a deeper meaning than just, it's a zombie movie. Oh, like absolutely. it was about a guy learning responsibility and standing up and, and, taking care of things and not just being a slack ass like even that which was the parody of the genre had a deeper meaning to it than either of these two goddamn movies oh baby you don't got to defend Shaun of the Dead to me um yeah and 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 even going for the whole rapey zombie isn't that shocking boy it is never seen anything like that I, I can't imagine seeing some kind of movie where there's like a head in a pan and the headless bodies like feeling up a woman that'd be so crazy i'm glad that this movie was the first movie that did a, a rapey zombie sort of shocking shtick there crazy uh, uh any True. final final thoughts about day of the dead bloodline no equal equally uh bastardizing great work and the fact that they've this is the second attempt to remake day of the dead uh, and it's terrible. And and Day of the Dead is the weakest of the three in the original trilogy, in my opinion. So it's the one that would be like easiest to remake. And yet they all pooch it every time, and I don't know why. It's it's truly shocking. But never doubt modern film companies' abilities to just completely miss the mark entirely. Let's go ahead and take a break. <laughs> All right, so uh, to quote my best buddy over here, Zach Romero, this has been a long time coming, kids. Uh, you may remember, I think it was all the way back in episode two or three, uh, we gave you an exclusive look 
at the live-action Sonic the Hedgehog movie. And this was all the way back when it was not a, a glimmer in the eye of, of most of the public. You know, we, we really got the exclusive on that one. And now, as most of the general public is aware, uh, the Paramount has released to the world at large uh, a new version of the trailer. And Zach and I, given our special connections to Sonic and Tails, they are truly our personas, uh, we are, are going to be giving our, our, our real in-depth analysis on this trailer. So, Zach, are, are you ready for this? Are you emotionally prepared? I, I, I am. It's the, Again, it's, this is like everything we've been working towards in this entire show is, has finally come to this moment. This is really what it's all about. Not about this... <laughs> us talking about horror movies or fixing things or being funny or anything like that. No, this definitely about not about being funny. Goddamn... Not, none of these Sonic right. segments are funny. <laughs> this, is, this all comes down to proving we were right all along. We had the exclusivity, and finally, uh, the the uh, Miles Tails Prowlers have come to roost. This and is, so, uh, is this is the cul the culmination, ladies and gentlemen. So uh, so we are going to go ahead and, and uh, play this trailer here, so we'll be able to kind of just comment on it live we'll, uh, and make sure Zach you know if there's a moment that you want to comment on just just tell me stop I'll stop the trailer and, and I'll, I'll, I'll make the call as well if we need to stop and uh, and talk about something so uh, let's go ahead Excellent. and jump right in so uh... okay stop just stop, stop right there just l let me just say yeah, right yeah. off the bat so um, I unironically hate that Modern uh, studios believe that audiences have the attention span of a goldfish. And so in order to get them to watch a three minute trailer, they have to show a two to five second tease of what's going to be in that trailer before the trailer even begins. Uh, jokes aside, I actually hate that. I wish they would stop doing that. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's very insulting to be like, okay... I'm going to watch your shitty commercial for your shitty movie. You don't need to jingle keys in front of me first. I'm obviously here for a reason. Okay. Uh, let, let, yeah, well, all right, let's get back into it. What the? Okay, stop. So, as you can see, one of the uh, scenes that we had talked about previously... Uh, where Sonic the Hedgehog is just dropping his uh, pubic hair all over the all over the place while he's running, definitely included one of the the spicier scenes that we got uh, uh, privileged to see. But they're using it to bait people into the movie. So you see, you know, Smiley Beefsteak pick up the pube, gross. Um, probably, you know, he'll find another one on like a bar of soap later, and. Um, just kind of looks disgusted, slightly aroused. Um, so there's going to be a whole subplot about why Sonic's a bad roommate because of the amount of hedgehog pubic hair he leaves on the soap. Yeah, and, and I honestly, I agree with you. I truly thought that back then we were getting an inside look at uh, something that was probably going to hit the cutting room floor. But uh, shocking, but I will say very pleasing that they've gone ahead and, and gone with the hard R rating on Sonic like we wanted them to. And that was the email we sent back to Paramount. That was our, our main thing with the uh, exclusive look there. So uh, anyways, back into it. Sega, of course.
one stop. <laughs> yeah. Now, do, do you do you have a, a comment about the, the the choice of music in this trailer? Hold on. So the <laughs> running through the forest elements, the um, the showcasing of the pile of shoes that are all worn out. I am not against these ideas and visuals. I think they were perfectly fine. I think, you know, the the speed through the forest really kind of helps capture that POV, that dickless POV of Sonic that we saw in the first poster. Um, the, the worn out shoes are fine. I was like, okay, this is all good. This is all a smart move on Paramount's part to, uh, to use all these kind of like visual gags and interesting ideas for... Um, for this movie, so I was all on board with all of this. I think this was all just very well played so far. Okay, all right, that uh, that was a, a genuine opinion. Excellent. Uh, well, let's. Uh, okay, jumping back in here. Uh... Okay, but stop. Uh, but uh, I. But the 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 music. I couldn't be happier or prouder. And and honestly, uh, that was our other big recommendation when we said. You need to go hard R, but also, if Gangsta's Paradise is not the song that people associate with Sonic the Hedgehog, they've been doing it for years. I mean, what do you think of when you think of Sonic? Uh, blue, goes fast, gold coins, Coolio. Like, these are... Right the things you think of and i and so i'm i'm glad they went with their gut on this and and i'm i'm really happy that they did well and the other thing is um you know we when we were first giving recommendations on like how best to advertise this film to people you know as as tn said we suggested go with the hard r but my second and i think really the most important element to the advertising campaign for this film is look man just rip off what the soda brand Sprite does and insultingly appeal only to young black people. Every Sprite commercial is all about just young, cool black kids with dreads and they're making some kind of hippity hop music uh, because that's what old white soda executives assume that they're doing at all times. And boy, oh boy, do they sure love Sprite. And same thing here. Oh man, they sure love Coolio and that hit song from 25 years ago. That is really going to get them into the seats because, you know, you're going to get your furries, you're going to get your general delinquents, you're going to get your children who like shitty games. Those are all givens. But what about the urban demographics? So you hit them with a song that is somewhat insulting and basically a meme at this point. That is the song that you choose to draw in the oh-so-important urban demographic. That was Absolutely. the number one suggestion I had. They took it and ran with it. I couldn't be prouder. No, yeah, I'm very, very happy with that. And, and as we can even see on the sort of frame that we're paused on right now, uh, I know you know about this, about, about me, Zach. I am a true sneakerhead, and I'm glad that we are definitely going to be getting uh, authentic Puma Sonic the Hedgehog sneakers when this movie comes out. So uh, let's jump back into it here. Uh, Gotta go fast. Okay, if we go ahead and pause real quick. So, you know, really, I think what this trailer does above all else is uh, really just kind of check off the general uh, Sonic-isms that... um, are really going to grab the crowd. And again, similar to the jingling keys 
sort of remind them who we're talking about here. So you've got the the ring um, cuckling sound at the beginning. You've got the Sega logo. Sonic is literally saying the phrase "gotta go fast." Um, I was surprised that that they didn't just end it by uh, you know having. Jim Carrey just look in the camera and just go Sega! Like, I, I really think that would have worked out well. Um, but some would call it pandering and idiotic, but I would say that is just brand recognition and that is a constant reminder to the audience of, by the way, you're still watching a trailer for the Sonic movie. You didn't sit on the remote and change channels. This is still about Sonic. Yes, you didn't accidentally click one of the related uh, recommended videos on the sidebar for you, which is probably like giant king crab gets, you know, dissected and turned into sushi or some sort of weird YouTube whole thing you find at 2 o'clock in the morning. No, you're still watching the Sonic trailer. And you're, also, you're still this... watching a film trailer. It's not John Wick appears in Fortnite again. It's not that. You're still watching Sonic. And and also, uh, you know, the the other little moment that we just got to see there was that was our first actual uh, hearing Sonic speak, and I'm so happy that they went with Ryan Reynolds, which is what I I said that they needed to right, do which, from the beginning. At this stage, I'm thinking we need to get like a change.org petition together that Ryan Reynolds is no longer allowed to physically appear in a film he should only mm -hmm. be doing voiceover work my main problem with detective pikachu by the way spoilers um okay let's jump back into it an energy surge knocked out power across the entire pacific northwest this needs someone who can figure out exactly what we're dealing with you're not suggesting who i think you're suggesting we have no choice oh, okay, okay yeah. stop just, yeah go yeah yeah okay, um, let's just so, go ahead and just pause it right so, there. <laughs> So again, it's like, it's my, it out. I have a quick question. <laughs> so, yeah. so who is who is this guy? This character that's uh, that's coming out of this black van here. I don't think I'm familiar with this actor or this character. Could you explain it to me? Here's the thing, folks. There's there's a there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that people have said about our show. That it's juvenile. That it's ridiculous. That it's asinine, that it goes nowhere. <laughs> However, it cannot ever be said that Tien missed the mark. Because my dude right here, from day one, has been championing that Dr. Robotnik be played by goddamn The Mask and Ace Ventura having a horrible fuck baby. And by God almighty... That is what we got on the big screen. So you are all fucking welcome. <laughs> you are very welcome. I predicted it. Um, uh, you can go ahead and come to me for any future. I, I also know when the end of times is coming. So uh, anything you want to figure out for me, uh, have full confidence because I knew precisely what Jim Carrey was going to be doing uh, with this role. So uh, let's, let's... Down well, to the mannerisms this guy had it pegged. Like, I don't ever want to <laughs> hear a doubter. The show could be called Spoiler Alert from now on with how fucking on the money this guy was. No exaggeration. <laughs> um, by the way, and, and I'm tempted to even just do a quick Google search, but uh, well, well, what I, I'm not familiar enough with the lore of uh, Doctor uh, Eggman Robotnik um, to to know whether he was ever someone 
that was like working with the government or not just a terrorist. Um, but um, some comic books have kind of tried to go in that he was a doctor and was working in just like sort of general sciences. Um, but the thing they don't talk about in the comics because they're fucking cowards is the time when Dr. Robotnik went through a weird goth pedophile phase, which is what we're seeing here. And I think that's a fucking bold statement by Paramount. And I commend them for it because those comics, the video games, oh, this portly man with a mustache. Nah, 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 nah. That is not real life, my friends. However, fucking porno Pete with the giggle fingers, that is real life. And I fucking appreciate what Paramount was doing here. I agree completely. They they, they went precisely for what I think of when I think of Dr. Robotnik. I think of a slender man, not at all egg-shaped, red, no, uh, black, um, and hair, full head of hair. We all know... Uh, we all know that when the Japanese variation of the Sonic the Hedgehog games was nicknaming him Eggman, that they were doing it ironically. That he was Egg White Man because he is so milk toast and weird. That is what they were going for. That was a it's, mistranslation it's like on that, our part. Yes, it's like that character in House of a Thousand Corpses calling him Tiny. It is ironic, obviously. Let's get back of into how it. how little egg-shaped that he is. However... Yes. It should be noted, and again, this may be in the unrated director's cut, Dr. Robotnik's penis in this, 100% egg-shaped. It is completely obese and very smooth and just stark white. So I don't know if we'll go into that in the the, the regular theatrical cut. I think you got a different email than I did from Paramount. Maybe they showed us two different concept arts and we're trying to get our approval to see which one we preferred. Maybe they showed you where his whole penis, including the shaft and the balls, are all just one big white egg. The one they showed me, his penis looks like anal beads, so it's like several eggs kind of all attached to each other with the largest a, that, egg I, I feel being like his that, mushroom tip. I feel like tip, that one's know? for the international market. I don't feel like the, <laughs> the, the beads one is for America. I feel like just the big... Good old American healthy white egg with a tiny piss hole at the end is really going to speak to an American audience, but I could be wrong. I'm willing to change for that. Um, yeah, no, and, and that's true. And, and I believe I heard from Paramount that they were trying to uh, do a brand deal with Tenga Egg to do a Dr. Robotnik uh, Tenga Egg where you can be like yeah, fucking the, Dr. Robotnik's penis. Um, right, they were going to call it a chode omelet, and I think that's pretty bold as well. So uh, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and, and hit play here. Yes, okay. What the? Are you in charge here? Yes, I am. No. Nope. I'm wrong. Wait. I'm in charge. Allow me to clarify. In a sequentially ranked hierarchy based on level of critical importance, the disparity between us is too vast to quantify. Agent Stone. The doctor thinks you're basic. Listen, pal. I don't know if you realize. Who- I'm sorry, Major. What was your name? Benny. Nobody cares. All right, so let's stop. If we can just go ahead and pause, if we can just go ahead and stop, yeah, <laughs> yeah that'd be great. Yeah. So, um, so uh, what I really like about that scene is that when they sent us the original version of that, uh, Jim Carrey actually just he bent over and he talked out of his asshole like in Ace Ventura, doing that whole dialogue. And well, and the, no, the please, thing that please. I think was really the the right choice here was when I watch Ace Ventura, I sit there and I go, you know what this is missing? It's missing that after every joke or funny voice that Jim Carrey does, 
that a much blander character needs to talk in some kind of immediately dating the film type of vernacular. Like Mm -hmm. if... You know, if Ace Ventura was like, oh, Finkel is Einhorn, and then a a nameless extra stepped into frame and went, why the? That's what that film was really missing. I and agree. So I'm glad that they've decided to go in another direction here for the Sonic movie. Oh, oh, absolutely. I think that um, that's the one thing that when Nature Calls was missing is that his sort of uh, portly sidekick that follows him around for a lot of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, in reality, you know, they were they were kind of playing on a, on a very old comedy trope of the straight man of that character. But I think what mm-hmm. they needed to do with that is instead of having him be the straight man reacting to these sort of outrageous hijinks that this ridiculous over-the-top character is doing, that he instead just looks directly at the camera and just explains each joke and says, isn't it wild that this man just uh, put a bunch of asparagus and sort of hors d'oeuvres into his nose and he blew them out at this fancy party. That's pretty crazy, don't you think? Also, Which I got to write it. you would not normally do. Yeah, precisely. And, and I got to write an extra email to, to Paramount because I told them that that line was supposed to be the doctor thinks you're hashtag basic. And so I really think they True. need to fix that. Um, anyways, I also, I also enjoy that, you know, this is as, as TN pointed out since the beginning, let us not forget that fact, uh, that I like that this take of, Hey, I'm just going to do Ace Ventura again, but there's like a deep sadness in his eyes as though, like, even though he tried to be a deeper artist, this is where he ended up having to do Ace Ventura again, 75 years later. Um, I really enjoy that as a character choice of like, sort of like a, ooh, somebody stop me, dot, 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 because I'm going to slit my own wrists. I like that take as a character. And I'd say a lot of that sadness in his eyes comes from the fact that we all know that Jim Carrey has looked into the fire of the Illuminati and he cannot forget what he's seen. <laughs> that so, is absolutely uh, correct. Uh, all right, so let's, let's move let's, on Let's here. jump back into it here. Um, Oh, here we go. Uh, meow. Ah, oh, come on. Okay, uh, let's let's stop okay. it. Yeah, yeah. We go in the biz. We call this the money shot. Is what we call this. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, I'm so sorry. I'm getting really emotional because they followed our design that we sent over to Paramount to a to the letter. We designed oh, the Sonic, <laughs> and so let's 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 give a little context here. Yes, so please. literally in every single Sonic the Hedgehog game, the he has been redesigned. Let's not let's not mix words here. Yes, you know the Sonic the the chubby kind of feisty Sonic that was in Sonic 2 back in like 1997 is not the same one that was in like Sonic Boom Boom Pow or whatever the hell the the most recent game was. Yeah, It's literally been redesigned every single time. So this idea that they wouldn't redesign him for the movie is laughable. However, our suggestions were, well, what if you took the design of Sonic the Hedgehog um, and really just made it a nightmare? Um, because again, we're leaning into that hard R. So we wanted sort of like an HP Lovecraftian sort of look. Um, 
And also, what if Sonic the Hedgehog's nose looked like a little turd that just came out of your asshole? Looks like a little bead. Uh, that was another big suggestion from us, and I'm glad that we went with that. As well as the incredibly human-looking teeth and mouth. I feel yes. like that was a great call as well. The thing uh, because, is... Because, again, yeah. we want this to be educational for children. So it's like, you know, this is a situation where you take your child to this hard R Sonic the Hedgehog film, and in, in, in addition to hopefully seeing a grown man's egg dick, um, you can also point to the hedgehog creature and say, if you don't do your chores, he will visit you in the night and he will eat you. And that's really going to, uh, it's going to keep the kids invested. You won't see it's a lot a of huge, kids yeah. making noise. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, uh, I, I, You know me. I always come from the branding and marketing, merchandising side of things when we're working with mm -hmm. the various big-name studios that reach out to us here at Frightful Failures. Um, and, uh, and so I told them two things. I said, A, Elf on a Shelf isn't going to sell a single goddamn unit this year. You are replacing that with Sonic under your bed. And, and right. that is what kids are going uh, to behave for near the holidays this year. Um, so and that's the you one thing. It then, and it's true now. You nailed yes. it again. And the other big thing I said was that you are going to sell Sonic's mouth as a flashlight, and that's right. why they you made it go. so human. You, you got to hit both demographics. So absolutely, it's like, yes. could those teeth terrify a child? Yes. <laughs> Is that mouth also fuckable? Yes. You got to yes. go with both extremes in order to meet in the middle and make your most money. That's basic economics. TN Guignol's been saying that since day one. Thank you. Thank you, Zachary. I appreciate that. Um, let's let's jump back into it here. Hey, pal, I want answers. Basically, it looks like I'm going to have to save your planet. No, but thank you for asking. Can I just pause it real quick? Just, just sure. again, just pause it sure, real quick. Sure, sure, sure. Now, um, now again, an, an actual note though. He says your planet, noting that, um, and 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 I believe that was your suggestion that Sonic be actually an alien, not of this world, because that's well, the I, thing. You know, that's what people love about him—that he's a werewolf and that he's an from alien. The get go. My suggestion from the get-go was let's lean away from the original game lore that Dr. Robotnik was sort of this industrialist who was destroying the environment. Let's go. Let's step away from that and make it more like this weird dimension-hopping sort of very convoluted mess. Um, and more to the point, in my opinion, and I said this from day one, I said, fellas, ladies, if you, wanted, if you want this thing to succeed, in addition to the jingling keys at the start of the trailer you literally need to sum up in one phrase what the character's motivation is in the movie. And so Sonic's saying, I have to save your planet. Just no bones about it. Every film should have a moment like that in the trailer. So, for instance, Gone with the Wind, fucking the lead actor should look into the camera in the trailer and go, I don't give a damn. Also, the Civil War is happening. And I'm somehow involved in this. Uh, fucking King Kong, you know, you needed the, the, the damsel in distress to turn and go, beauty's going to kill the beast, by the way. And the monkey's not going to make it out of this movie. You need to just sum up succinctly, you know, goddamn uh, usual suspects. Kaiser Sose needed to turn to the camera and go, by the way, I'm Kaiser Sose. That's going to mean something once you see the film. 
you have to completely spell it out for people because yes. a surprise in a film means failure. If and you also, surprise and your also, audience, you have let them down. Yeah, and also, you know, uh, uh, going along with that, he, he looks over and points and says, see this guy? He's going to finger fuck Anthony Rapp. Um, so, mm-hmm. so that's the other thing yeah. about that. Um, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah. let's just, uh, let's, uh, let's jump back into it here. Uh-oh. Whatever this creature is, our job is to secure it, neutralize it, see what makes it tick. Okay, stop. So, and this was my suggestion, I think. I don't want to take credit here, but I said, when, when you suggested his pubes are going to sort of, you know, leak off of him when he's running so fast, mm-hmm. he's just going to mm-hmm. have like a, a bald crotch area from all the pubes that shoot right. off of him. And I said there needs to be a very erotic segment where Dr. Eggman uh, just like licks from the bottom of the shaft all the way up to the top of one of these long, sharp pubic hairs. And it looks mm-hmm. like they have delivered in full force to precisely oh, absolutely. that. And I think it, it, it goes to show, and, and this is my, my theory, I think, you know, Paramount does still keep some secrets from us about the full plot of this film, but I think that little moment right there goes to highlight that they are going to go with the subplot that you suggested, that Dr. Robotnik is in love with Sonic the Hedgehog and is pursuing sort of a romance with him throughout the film. Well, again, beggars can't be choosers if they decide to go that method. I think that's only going to equate success. However, I think without a doubt... It will be said that they definitely took your suggestion that before he puts the pubic hair onto his tongue, that his assistant asks Dr. Eggman, why would you do that? And Eggman's response, of course, as per your suggestion is P-A-R-T-Y because I gotta. And then he licks it, which I thought was a really excellent choice on your part and I'm, and I think it's pretty obvious they went with that direction. I'm I'm really happy with that as well. Um let's uh jump back into it here. Oh, I'm sorry. Stop it. Okay. So was it you or was it me who suggested that Sonic have Doctor Strange powers? I know it was one of us. It's true. Yeah, that that was interesting. Um and you know, I felt like uh, really it was a bold move to just rip that off and and uh, include that that has nothing to do with the lore whatsoever and is just sort of brought in out of fucking nowhere. I thought that was a bold move and I think uh, they're better for it. No, I agree completely. And as we can see sort of on the frame that we're, we're, we're stopped on here, uh, you know, this is very much going to be a globetrotting movie, which is, uh, you know, something that you think of when it comes to Sonic. He's sort of the, the Indiana Jones of his own franchise and he's got to... He's got to go fast. And so here we are in front of the, the pyramids of Giza. And uh, I'll, I'll be damned if he doesn't, you know, climb to the top of one of those and say, eh, it looked bigger on the map or, or something along those lines, which, you know, mm-hmm. you and I are really uh, kind of pro at pumping out those just very generic uh, appeal to the, the lowest common denominator sort of lines. Right. So, so I'm, I'm glad that they're going to use a lot of those, hopefully. Um, all right, uh, let's, let's jump back into it here. If we, can, if we can just stop real quick here, just stop just for a sure, second. Sure, sure. Um, I just want to point out that uh, my original suggestion 
was uh, for the tagline was every hero has a Saturn or uh, every hero has a Dreamcast. I mm. was downvoted for that, unfortunately. Um, they went with Genesis. I don't really know what they were going for. I don't know why they were going with a biblical uh, reference there, but I it's, mean, it's biblical and be, it's, it's may... musical as well. I think for some of the soundtrack, uh, I would say right and. And they may be leaning into the Jesus metaphor for Sonic because he is the chosen one. We may see where that goes in the sequel. Yeah, Um, and and you see a lot of that in in sort of children's literature. You know, Harry Potter is a big example, but but we pushed really hard for that. We said that Sonic is more of a Jesus allegory than than anything in, in popular children's media. And so if you don't have that be a large part of it, you know, Chronicles of Narnia style, and I'm talking in your face, like very thinly veiled um th- this jesus allegory for sonic that you're really doing a serious disservice and you're insulting all the fans primarily chris chan so right right and 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 i mean you know i think it goes without saying that sonic the hedgehog on the big screen is the most christ-like figure and i'm talking about you know in the same conversation as like superman returns or uh superman 4 or Passion of the Christ, all of these films where they're trying to like kind of make reference to a Jesus-like figure, Sonic is going to trump them all. And so I'm really glad that we are suggesting it, but I think we should save a majority of that dunk for the sequel, which will undoubtedly come you know, later on. Of course. And by the way, I did just check my email again, and uh, Paramount did fully confirm I was correct that the line about Genesis is because a la the animated Tarzan, they have hired Phil Collins to do the entire soundtrack for this movie. All original I knew that was... Oh, good, good. I so, knew we were on the fence there. Yeah. I knew it yeah. was between him and Don Henley, so I'm super thrilled that we got Phil Collins in on this project. I'm really his, happy about that. His piano sonata cover of Gangster's Paradise is going to bring the tears. It is going to be a work of art. I think it's going to bring the nations together. Uh, I, I truly think it's going to be absolutely out of this world. Okay, so um, let's let's jump back into it here. Nine million steps today. Stay in there and be quiet. Also, if we just pause real quick here, just pause. Sure, sure, um, sure. I, do I like this very multicultural that... Uh, cast that is uh, approaching the, the screen here right now. Um, yes, um, I uh, I enjoy the fact that you know we're basically in a situation where uh, the trailer just reveals how overpowered Sonic is and how any attempt to attack him would be futile because he can, in fact, tap into the Speed Force. So there really is no purpose for a story being told when you're literally dealing with God. Um, Super thrilled they decided to throw that in, that there is literally no danger for Sonic to be in because he is, in fact, the fastest thing that has ever and will ever exist. Yes, uh, I and 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 you know once again that was your suggestion. You said that you did not want there to be any stakes to this film at all. That you no, wanted to establish very early on that uh, this creature was unstoppable, and that was part of the whole Elf on the Shelf thing. Is that we wanted kids to know that Sonic could not and will not be beaten, and therefore right. there's no way you can avoid him if uh, you are naughty this year. So that's, right, and that's it comes down. A, the the classic rule of filmmaking is it comes down to the SS rule, and I don't just mean the Nazi subplot. I do, of course, mean <laughs> but you that, do. But I'm talking you, about yeah, the, yeah. the SS rule: no surprises, no stakes. 
That is exactly yes. how you make a good movie. And so they went Absolutely. with the SS rule here, and I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the only stakes I want to see are in a Bram Stoker movie. All right, you feel me? You got me, Zach? I do. You, you see what? I do. Yeah, okay. All right, now let's jump back into it here. Uh, how much longer? I can't breathe in here. Do you have your child in that bag? No. I mean, yes, it's a child, but it's not mine. It's not your child. It smells like body spray in an old ham sandwich. Okay, now I've got a question here for you for the, the end of that trailer. There's sort of a little stinger shot at the end. And, and I'm mm -hmm. honestly curious, so who, who is that guy at the end that they show for a second? Well, again, I, as I said before, it's all about no surprises. And so it, if, I, if I had to, uh, without giving too much away to the audience, um, uh, one of my final suggestions in my email to Paramount, I said, you know, there's going to be uh, kind of a little almost twisterino of the more traditional um, non-goth pedophile Eggman look uh, that would be sort of like a fan service sort of treat at the end of the movie. I said, don't save that. Throw that right there front and center so that when it happens in the film, it is hollow and meaningless and the fans have already seen what they wanted to see. That's what oh. I told them as an indicator from the get-go. I was like, do not save the twist or the fan service for the film Give it away for free, so therefore people will have no incentive to come see your picture. That is called so reverse that, psychology, okay. and that is how no. it is done. So that's Dr. Robotnik at the end. Okay, I didn't recognize him, honestly. He looks so much different than all the concept art that we were shown and the, the feedback that we gave back to Paramount. Uh, I didn't recognize that that was Dr. Robotnik. But, um, you know, who knows? Maybe when, when we see that hollow, meaningless reveal on the big screen coming out this uh, December or whenever, um, that, uh, that'll really, uh, you know, add a lot to that. So fantastic. Um, this bit was exactly the length that we wanted it to be. So, uh, I think we can go ahead and, uh, and just thank you and, and thank you, Zach, for, uh, for, for, you know, uh, tuning in with this Sonic legacy. And I know that there's going to be a lot more to come. I'll tell you that. I mean, you cannot imagine the episode that we are going to release once this film actually drops. Uh, 100%. And I'm glad that they took so much of our advice. And this is going to be nothing but a success. Absolutely. Well, well, let's get back to the show. So, uh, yeah, welcome back, everyone, to Frightful Failures. Uh, I apologize for the deep dive and, and kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit about how the creative process works uh, in terms of uh, filmmaking. But uh, we're going to go into a bit of a workshop here. Uh, Tian and I are, are going to put our brains together to fix these films. We will be trying to fix 2016-2017's Zombies as well as trying to fix Day of the Dead Bloodline. Um, so obviously we're going to take off the table the solution of neither of these films should have been made. That's off the table. Um, uh, all the people involved in making these movies should be um, you know, brought out into a field and shot. We're taking that off the table as well. This is really just more of a creative brainstorming mastermind session on how to fix these two pieces of shit that I fucking hated. So, uh, if we were to get started with Cameron Romero's Zombies, um, 
You had brought up a point, and I feel like we would be remiss not to sort of use this as the jumping-off point for fixing uh, perhaps even both of these films, is the idea of social commentary, and the idea that that has always been your father's uh, sort of goal when it came to making zombie movies, is that there is a deeper layer to the zombie, it was not simply the dead have taken over, uh, it was what is going on with race relations right now in society, what is going on with consumerism, what is going on with the relationships between the rich and the poor. Uh, and so I think that there, there is room to have, uh, plenty of room, I would say, to have involved some kind of a theme like that in Cameron Romero's Zombies, if you would agree. Oh, absolutely I would. And I think that's what ultimately robs these these two films of any sort of heart, is the fact that there's no depth to them. It's literally just an effect. Like, you could have replaced these with, like, werewolves or, or creatures from the Black Lagoon, and it would have been the same movie. Like, there's just no... There's no draw to them. There's no interest in them. It's just... A, there's this plain, like, oh, we made a zombie movie because that was the makeup we could afford. Um, so, so let's try to brainstorm here. What, what's a, what's a current social standing that you could have as, as, as in depth for these films? Um, well, well, well first of all, I can't, I think that we're in a kind of a boring political climate right now. So I don't think there's anything really politically <laughs> that could be involved with any sort of, very like, true. you know, very opposite ends, you know, the living versus the dead and sort of a political views so that wouldn't really work um however i will say and and fans of this show know that most of our fixes we steal from black mirror and as you recall there was a black mirror episode uh regarding the military where they had those uh sort of bionic uh implants uh installed in their soldiers that allowed them to see the opposition as these uh, inhuman creatures and so that could very much be involved, especially with, with two movies that are so obsessed with military and obviously get such big boners for men holding assault rifles dressed in fatigues, um, that, uh, that that would be an interesting aspect is the idea of, uh, you know, you're, you're dehumanizing your opposition, but this is the only war in which that would be the case. So what if they weren't dehumanized. And, and that's honestly a, a theme in Bloodline, obviously. Um, but uh, I think there is, there's an aspect there, if I'm not mistaken. Okay, so here's an idea uh, to okay. fix uh, z- uh, zombies. Um, so you introduce the virus just running its course, deus ex machina, earlier in the film. You, you, re- you introduce it like in the first third to maybe like the halfway point of the film. Okay. Okay. So they're like, Oh, Luke, stop shooting these zombies. They're going to be cured momentarily. And Luke just sort of looks into the camera and he's like, Oh, I've been aware of that the whole time. And then it comes to fruition. They sort of notice that like, Luke is only focusing on killing, like, black zombies or, like, Hispanic zombies. And then it's like, oh my god, Luke is crazy racist, and this is an opportunity for him to live out his racist fantasies. Oh boy, yeah. I mean, that's 
very dark, but then you know what that does is that when it finally gets to the end and he, for some reason, has just been not listening to people telling him, like, listen, the virus runs its course. He's he's filled with blood rage too much. He needs to kill all of these minorities. Um, and so when he finally then kills his girlfriend, his very white Aryan girlfriend at the end, um, when he suffers and finds out and truly listens at that point that the virus was going to run its course and he didn't have to murder her, that's poetic because we want to see him suffer at that point and we want him probably to just get the shit beaten right. out of him at the end of the movie as well so yeah because because like yeah. i said especially if you keep the first third the same and you you're supposed to be liking this character because you're like oh he's a good guy you know he's looking to save people or better yet instead of like uh having him just shoot you know minority zombies have him come across a survivor who's a minority and he just leaves them be like, he doesn't save them on purpose. Like they're not infected or anything like that, but like, because you know, they're Ukrainian. He's like, ah, no, we're not saving them. And like, he just leaves them there to die. And he pretends to see a bite on them and is like, Oh, I can't, you can't come with it. Oh, he's infected. We got to leave him be. And they're like, really? He's like, yeah, "Yeah, take my word for it. So like, then no, we're please, like, oh, no, I'm clean. I'm clean. No, please could take me with you. No, you stay, stay there. Build the wall. And so build the wall. And so, uh, you know, so you're absolutely right. So at the end, he accidentally kills his girlfriend and then he suffers and they maybe like leave him out to pasture for the remaining zombies to kill or something like that. Okay. That so, way so here... it's still, it's still hitting a sociopolitical point. And it's also subverting expectations because you assume, oh, well, this guy's clearly our hero. And it's like, no, no, he's a bigot and you shouldn't be cheering for him. Yes. Now, uh, honestly, so to take your idea that the virus running its course, uh, that aspect should be introduced much earlier in the film. To take that, I think what you could do is you can actually make kind of an interesting action premise based around that an interesting sort of climax much more interesting than a bunch of cgi zombies getting run over by like a trailer tractor um but instead uh you have a character in the movie that's essentially the biggest action badass you've ever seen on screen he's like terry cruz in the expendables or like the dude with the minigun from Predator or uh, like any of those, he's unstoppable. And what happens is he gets bitten, but they know the virus is going to run its course. So they've got it kind of timed out. And what happens is they've got this dude like restrained somehow in like the back of a pickup truck or something. And the horde is coming. They're surrounding them and they're watching their, their clocks. Like the, it's just about to run its course. He's just about to like regain his humanity. And then he's going to be able to, to save us. Like he's going to, we'll be able to toss him the minigun and he's going to mow these guys down. And that would be like a really, I think kind of awesome third act to a, to a very forgettable, uh, action zombie film. Yeah, I agree with that. I absolutely agree with that. And like the whole concept of maybe, maybe in uh, like if we're applying this idea to to Bloodline, maybe the zombie virus mutates and makes them like hyper aggressive 
but you know that the time is running out that like the there you basically just have to wait out the shock clock and then eventually they'll they'll come back down and they'll turn to normal because at that point then you're really dealing with that because it's not just a matter of like because if you just kept them corralled and ran out the clock then it'd be like all right well it's no big deal but if they're like mm. hyper aggressive and it's like it, you're almost like do I defend myself am i doing self-defense am i running the risk of killing this person who i know will be back to normal in a day or so then you're dealing with a lot more of a morality thing in terms of like where does human life begin kind of a thing yes Um, no that that's a really interesting concept and honestly i think the only sort of concept that would make you think more than that is what if you just put max in uh in camera mirror zombies and just kind of left him in the crowd and there was just sort of this impending fear that yes you have all these zombies that want to like disembowel you and rip you apart but you also have a zombie somewhere in the crowd that just wants to like leave you with lasting trauma that's gonna like put you in therapy for the rest of your life that he just wants to like stick a finger like in in you um and well, what, i think okay that would, so what about that's this? honestly scarier yeah Okay. So you leave you leave zombies how it is, very bland. And then the twist is not that the zombie virus eventually runs its course inexplicably. The twist is the girl tells Luke I'll be down for breakfast shortly. They hear some weird noise like everybody all the family downstairs hear some weird noise. They come up, they bust open the door. Luke's girlfriend being raped by Max the zombie. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like that. The other thing so is... So then it's like, okay, which so, is worse? She's going to be infected with the zombie venereal disease or mm-hmm. you just got cucked out by a zombie. That's yeah. that's the That becomes the moral dilemma. And honestly, you know, I think that an interesting aspect to this whole, like, there's a time frame on the zombie virus is perhaps when the when the time frame runs out and you're no longer mindless and you're no longer thirsty for, for you know, human flesh, uh, that uh, perhaps you don't just return to normal, you just turn into, like, a rape zombie. Uh, you just Ooh, turn okay. into like you know one of the creatures from the hills have eyes basically, and you're okay. you're you're Max essentially, and you just you just become a sex offender basically at that point. So instead and, of uh, instead of being hungry for brains, you yeah. become hungry for that like that bussy basically. Yeah, that bussy, absolutely no, and, and so like you know when when you see those big you know, lurching arms coming after you, you know that if they get to you, they're not going to start ripping and tearing. It's going to be another kind of ripping and tearing. And they're just going right, to go gonna, down. They're going to rip and shorts. tear a hymen is what. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so yeah. Yeah. So I, let I me, think that's, let me present uh, you, let me present you with this idea for uh, bloodline. Okay. You introduce the vaccine sooner in the movie but she, the doctor doesn't make enough for the whole team yet. It's kind of like in a testing phase. Okay. And so you introduce Luke from Zombies into Bloodline. He gets vaccinated first. But instead of him like developing a character or doing anything of interest, they just end up using him as sort of like a living human shield. So every time a zombie is like going to attack someone who's interesting, they just sort of like baseball slide Luke in and he just gets bitten instead, but he doesn't get infected. 
And they just kind of use him as this big, dumb meat shield. And he just continues just to keep getting bitten. And every time he's bitten, like, maybe he shows an emotion, maybe not, because it's hard to tell if he can. But... Yes. Most important, people who actually can act and, like, you know, bringing some kind of, like, depth to the film would remain safe at that point. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, I think you could even, like, duct tape Miguel from Bloodline to Luke and just kind of push them around together like sort of an air hockey puck, just sort of put them on like a Roomba or something and just have them be at the front of the, the crowd and just be that, that human meat shield, that almost like a scratching post for the zombies. Uh, I think that would that would work really well. I don't know well, that it would fix the whole movie. No, but Tien, I gotta say, I was gonna be uh, sort of gruff and crass here and say like, well, if you were gonna duct tape Miguel and Luke, arguably the two worst leads of any zombie film that's ever been made if you're already going to duct tape them together i i was going to suggest why not just catapult them both into the sun but i have to admit the image of them slowly running around on a on a roomba like the world's most depressing zamboni really appeals to me and i really like that visual so i (laughs) think i say put that in the film yeah okay all right good so that'll definitely be included in terms of fixing, I mean, you, you want to know an honest-to-God fix for Bloodline is... Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. It would take away the awesome feminist moment where this survivor uh, takes down her attacker. That sucks to lose that. But it would, it would be so much more of just a complete, dramatic, poetic justice for this film that... He's Max is about to go in for the final, you know, like lunge and just to grab at Zoe. And then suddenly just a railroad spike or, or a giant fence post just goes through his skull and you turn around and who's wielding that post? But come on, you know, tell me who's wielding the post. Tom Savini. No, it's not. It's not Tom Savini's character from From Dust Till Dawn, although you could honestly add him to most movies and it would probably be an improvement, but uh, it's it's Bub. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, so it's it's Bub. Um, but then Bub, you know, is still a zombie ultimately, so then another railroad spike goes through his head and then you look and who's holding that and it's BB. Oh, I like, th- okay, now you're speaking my language. Yeah, I know. Um, I knew that one would get you for sure. It, so, so if <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna make a suggestion here, but also as an aside, if this is too much, I'm officially giving permission for this to be cut from the episode because I feel like I've already <laughs> been treading on some thin ice with the whole Nazi things and some of the other things I've said in this episode. So yes, if this okay. Is too much. Feel free to cut this. I'm prepared. I'll make a note right here. The solution for Bloodline is at the end when Max is stalking Zoe and Zoe like jumps out and Max like has her cornered and is going to try to commence with the sexual assault. Uh, Zoe kind of turns the tables and is like, no, no, get to munching. Like you get down there and get to work. (laughs) And Max is like, okay, pretty cool. And like, undoes her pants or whatever and is like getting ready to go down to like third base 
and then like rears back like in shock and then she's like oh what's that you don't like how that smells yeah we've been in the apocalypse for five years it's hard to get clean soap and water so this cooch stank and now you got to deal with it and that's how she diverts max away is because hygiene is difficult you know what that that makes sense and i think that that's really I mean that's that's another sort of empowering moment I would say is right. that she, and then she you change the name turns the tables yeah you change the name of the film from Day of the Dead Bloodline to Day of the Dead Stank is is what you call it instead and again let me just state for the record if this whole segment needs to be cut because I have crossed too many lines in one episode I completely understand and I'm not taking offense to it uh, yes, and that's fine, and and I may I may freely use the uh, censor button uh, in this final segment because boy, uh, God forbid uh, this show were to acquire any amount of, of fan base, uh, we would have to do a PewDiePie level apology uh, for well, everything as, as that we, we have stated, said. In the as last we stated earlier, if there's a thousand listens to this, then someone's getting a student film uploaded. So all the more reason <laughs> yeah, to keep right. an eyeball open. For and what for an episode, episode to listen to, my goodness. Uh, what, what an episode to come in on and start be like, what's this show all about? Apparently, <laughs> really it's all about really, about. really just l- <laughs> a lot of just light talk of just casually sort of making fun of sexual assault. That's that's apparently mm-hmm. the, the through line. And uh, also kicking very... old people while they're down. Let's not forget that part. Yes. No, absolutely. Uh, in all seriousness, no, obviously, you know, this is, uh, uh, this is, this is parody if we don't have to say that already, but, uh, but anyways, uh, back to, uh, the, the fixes there, you know, I think those are two really good fixes. So, you know, we have our, uh, our, our timer running out on Max, on becoming Max, essentially, in Zombies, True, yes. and then we have turning the tables on Max, forcing his head into an, uh, unshaven sort of pirate era pussy. Yes, um, exactly. And, and just hearing his his noises of displeasure <laughs> as he resists and tries to pull away, and she forces Cunnilingus on this uh, sort of sentient or, or zombie. If we want to, if we want to do another little twist, if you want a real twisterino and bloodline, oh yeah, um, Max finally gets Zoe down and is going to commence with the sexual assault. He he uh, he tears his little pants off. Uh-oh, SpaghettiOs, his genitals have rotted off because he is a goddamn zombie, and why is he surviving for five years? So yeah. that would be a real twisterino of he's like, oh no, literally I can't get it up because it fell off several years ago. It would it would 100% be just Planet Terror. It would be Quentin Tarantino's role in Planet Terror. It would just melt off and drip all over the floor. And exactly. uh, I think that would be that would be really good. And, we and there's your Planet Terror reference for the episode. Yes, there's, there's your Planet yes. Terror reference, which we make in every single episode. So that's so that shows the end of the uh, how to fix it segment because we hit the nail on the Planet Terror uh, reference, which signals the end of that. So uh, that's precisely right. So yes, uh, all in all, just sort of summarizing the films here. I fucking hated both of them. Um, both these films have brought shame to my family's name, uh, which will not soon be forgotten. And, uh, overall just, uh, two piles of shit. And, uh, I can't wait to actually watch an older film 
and everything that was made post 2000 is uh, garbage is basically what I'm coming I to. I feel here. secondhand shame for you and for Thank myself you. for having to watch these. Um, Excellent. Uh, please uh, please follow us on social media ladies and gentlemen um as we come to a close here we just wanted to thank you all so much for uh sticking with us if you have made it this far in the episode my gosh you are a trooper you yeah, absolutely. Uh, i i can't i personally might not even make it this far into the episode um but uh what i will tell you is uh you know we appreciate anyone that uh, gives this show a listen gives us a like a mention anything that you can uh, do in the kindness of your hearts a rating on itunes a comment on soundcloud anything that will take you a few minutes is honestly a humongous impact for uh, a smaller show uh, starting up and trying to make a name for ourselves we're ultimately it doesn't sound like it but we're proud of what we do here and uh, we hope that if we can make you laugh at least a few times uh, in this two and a half hour podcast that we release every you know twice a month or whatever that uh, we're doing our job and it wouldn't be a true episode if TN didn't get on a soapbox at the end and try and make some kind of sincere uh, breaking the veil of irony moment of thanking audience members but truly thank you um, follow us on uh, also yes, uh, yes. if you're going to leave a comment maybe don't pick this episode to quote us in that comment maybe maybe wait on another yeah. episode maybe yeah, a less if you're incriminating gonna... episode yeah, if you're going to draw any kind of, like, fan art or, or any kind of... Or, or certainly if you're going to, like, animate an, a section of the podcast, uh, you know, like a just a, 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 a 30 seconds of us, don't choose, don't choose this episode. Uh, at least not the, the zombie portions of it. Take the Sonic, do whatever you want with that. Um, anyways, yeah. follow us on social media. Uh, Instagram, we are at Frightful Failures. Twitter is still Fright Failures. Um, we are trying to post more often on there. Uh, what, what do you have to plug today here, buddy? Uh, by the time this goes up, we should already be knee deep in punk pro wrestling, uh, downfall of us all that should be on pivot share by this time. Um, so that'll hopefully have come and gone and not sucked. And I am expecting that show to be absolutely buck wild. Um, and I'll be doing the announcing for that show. So, uh, if you're in the, Newport Ritchie area, first of all, I'm very sorry for you, and I appreciate you sacrificing by living out there. Number two, if you don't mind going to a dead mall, that would be awesome. Come see our show at Gulfview Event Center. Uh, it's going to be absolutely bonkers, and I promise I will take a picture with you, uh, whether you want me to or not. So uh, you've got that to look forward to. Uh, Punk Pro Wrestling, uh, it, like I said, it should be up at Pivot Share by this time, but if you happen to see any of the social media postings I've been doing about it, I believe it's May the 18th is when that show's going to be. So um, I'll probably be hoarse by the time that show is done, but I will take pictures with any and all people who care to. Uh, and obviously, FullyGimmick.com. Uh, there will be Frightful Failures merch coming down the pipeline soon. Again, mm-hmm. will not have will not have any quotes from this episode because, for the love of God... <laughs> This is all going to be used against us in the court of law, uh, but uh, uh, but otherwise, uh, no. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, on behalf of Tien Guignol, I am Zach Romero. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening to Frightful Failures, the podcast, and continue to circulate the tapes. <laughs>